Hey everyone, it's Kat again, and welcome back to So Below, healing trauma with respect to our duality. Um, I've been having a really hard time getting the next episode recorded, and I think it's because I've been feeling a little bit blocked emotionally. Um, but it's also because I have so many ideas of where I want to go and how I want to continue with this podcast that I don't really know where to begin. In fact, I've even started three separate episodes and stopped halfway through because I lost inspiration. And I'll probably go back and revisit them and rework them and, and eventually get to those subjects. But I kind of almost feel like I shot myself in the foot by talking about duality so much because, yes, we are dual beings, but we're so much more than that. We're so much more multifaceted. We have so many more hues and layers and shades and colors. It's more than just light and dark. People are complicated and complex, and I think really getting to the bottom of our complexities is a big part of how we figure out who we are, which is the best way to heal from trauma. And I finally got to this conclusion um, recently because I heard from my dad, and he told me that he's been listening to my podcast. And, um, you know, obviously he is super supportive and he had great things to say, but he gave me the feedback that I completely expected from him. And that was that I swear too much, which let's be real. I kind of do. And I, you know, he told me I'd probably get more listeners if I didn't swear so much. And I was talking to my brother about it and he agreed that, yeah, I probably would get more listeners if I didn't swear so much. And that got me thinking, why do I swear so much? Because I know that swearing is something that's very off-putting to some people. It's something that can be very aggressive and come off as um, showboaty or, you know, in your face or, you know, just too much. And I think maybe that's part of the reason why I do swear is I want to be off-putting and aggressive sometimes. I don't want to be approachable. I don't want some dude coming up to me at the grocery store. So I have fuck off written on my forehead. Sorry, dad. But I want to be able to say what I have to say, but at the same time, understanding why I choose the words that I choose is really important. Um, and so that got me thinking on the, the subject of words themselves. And I've said it before and I'll say it again. Words are powerful. There's a reason it's called spelling. And by spelling, I mean spell casting. Our words are manifestations. Everything that we put behind our words, our intentions, they're manifestations. But unless we truly understand our intentions, how can we really understand the words that we're using? Having integrity in the words that we choose is really important. Yes, I could easily say that I like swearing because fuck is my favorite word. Because it's the most versatile word in the English language. It can be a noun, a verb, an adjective. It can literally be used in almost every situation. And sometimes, gosh darn it, is just not enough. And so I understand that, yes, I can easily say I use those words because I like them. And yes, that is a huge part of why I use the words. And those words are true. But are they the whole truth? There's that saying, the truth, the whole truth, and nothing but the truth. Is it the whole truth? You can tell the truth to a story and still miss a huge part of it. But when you think about the depth and the complexity of, that, of who we are as human beings, our words have to have more to them than that. And if our words have historically been spells throughout the years, what are we summoning with our words? For example, when it comes to relationships, the way you approach a subject will change the way that it, the outcome is. 
if you come at somebody aggressively and saying an accusatory saying you did this and it made me feel this way and now I'm mad, then they're going to immediately get on the defensive and now you're going to have a combative situation. Whereas if you come to them and say, hey, when this happened, this is how I perceived it and this is how it made me feel. Now suddenly you're having a conversation that's progressive and going somewhere. Being able to decide an outcome of a situation because of the way that you word things is a powerful tool to have. Especially since it works with us in our own personal relationship with ourselves and not just relationships with other people. I have a teenage daughter. She's 13. And she's at that age where when you look in the mirror, all of a sudden, all you can see is your flaws. And the world around us does nothing but point those flaws out to us. And with all the filters and everything right now where you're it changes the shape of your face and your lips and your eyes and it makes you look perfect and smooths out your skin and nobody looks human anymore. Everybody looks anatomically incorrect because they all look like a fucking Barbie doll. Sorry, dad. Um, but, you know, kids internalize this and they see this. And 13, my daughter's seeing this and she doesn't know how to shut those thoughts off. And the thing is, I never really learned how to do that until I was much older either. And I started doing that in the last couple of years. And as soon as I was able to shut those other voices out, I started losing weight and I just became comfortable in my own skin. And now, you know, I'm 80 pounds lighter. I look fantastic. I feel great. I'm never uncomfort uncomfortable. I'm confident in my own skin. And it's something that I had to learn how to do. So I try to tell my daughter all the time, it's an internal dialogue. When you start saying those things, you have to make a conscious effort to change what you're saying change the word, change the conversation. Now, suddenly, instead of saying, oh, I, I don't like the fact that I have, you know, this color of eyes, I'm looking in the mirror and saying, you know, my eyes bring comfort to somebody who is feeling bad because I can make eye contact with them and show them that I care and I'm listening to them. My smile brings comfort to somebody instead of feeling like, oh, I don't like the way my teeth look. There's so many ways we can nitpick at ourselves, but when we take the physical and the, the appearance out of it and just go into the, what that does as a human, what we do as a human being and what our presence does and how our presence affects the people around us and correcting the way that we speak and only using nice words when we talk about ourselves, it takes effort. It's not something that happens overnight. You can't just tell yourself to do it. You have to practice doing it. You have to catch yourself saying the bad things and change the thoughts to the good things. But what happens afterwards is a magical process. Our words become a roadmap for the type of life we're trying to live. If you've ever noticed that people who surround themselves with hate and anger tend to always find something to be upset about, there's always something to set them off. People who are constantly looking for the good in others will always find it. You can put two people with two completely different mindsets in the exact same situation and one will have a great day and one will have a horrible day. It's all in the perspective and how you look at it. Our inner dialogue directly affects our attitude, which directly affects the outcome of our day. Making a conscious effort to change the way we word things, to change the words that we say, will change the way that we view the world around us. And that's exactly why it's so important to maintain the integrity behind your words. But how can you have integrity in your words if you don't really truly understand where they're coming from? Why do you feel the way that you feel? 
In order to do that, you have to strip away all of your preconceived notions. You have to delve into the why you believe the things that you believe. You have to be willing to look at yourself in the mirror with complete self-awareness and be able to take accountability for where you're wrong, where you need to change, where you have room for improvement. You have to accept that sometimes you're the toxic one. You have to accept that sometimes you are right and sometimes you are wrong. And you need to recognize where those instances are because you can be completely honest with yourself about who you are. One of my favorite concepts is the fact that the first thought that you think of is your conditioned response, what you've been told to believe. It's the correction that's you. So taking away other people's voices and getting to the bottom of who you are is really the essential step in figuring out the integrity of your words. If you've ever watched somebody go through recovery as an alcoholic or an addict or something and they change their life and they get clean and sober and you watch their life just take off like a rocket and you see everything that happens is a response to them changing their mindset, changing their inner dialogue and taking control of who they are. That's a magical experience. You could word it any way you want it to. It's a miracle. It's, you know, willpower. It's all these things. But in the end, it's magic. It's wonderful to see somebody take control of their life and make something better of it. And the fact that we have the power and ability to do that just by changing the way that we respond to situations, changing the way that we think about situations. It really makes you wonder what else you can possibly do with yourself when you get to the bottom of how powerful you truly are. To go into that concept a little deeper, I want to share a little bit of my experience in the afterlife. Um, So bear with me, it's going to get a little bit weird. So if this is your first time listening, a brief synopsis, uh, my ex-boyfriend last year tried to kill me and he was kind of successful. I did die. And I passed over to the other side, and then I spent three days in the ICU where I had seizures, and I was in and out of consciousness. And I have very few memories of actually being in the ICU. And when I was in the ICU, I was never alone. There were people from uh, the other side that were with me while I was here. And so all my memories in the ICU include you know, family members that had passed on and um, other things as well. Um, But I do also have, because of the way time works on the other side, I have many years of memories in my head of things on the other side. So my time on the other side can be split into three different parts. Um, The first place I was I don't know, I call it the in-between or the ancient place. I don't really know what to call it. Um, but it kind of felt like it was a connection between this world and the next world, where there was very much going on that was being inspired to the world down here. There were things um, that I saw that were very much connected to the living. And most of the people there that I were, was seeing and interacting with in the in-between had family members that were still walking the earth. And it was like they were there as support with them before they went on to the next place and to the next part. And as old as everything felt, there was something about this place that felt very temporary. Like it wasn't a consistent place. Like nobody stayed there for a long time. The place was ancient, but nothing stayed the same for long. It all felt very temporary, which is a familiar feeling to me because in my entire life, I don't think there's ever been anything 
that's ever felt permanent to me. Everything always felt like it was temporary, like I was just waiting for the next great adventure, I guess. And I think the thing that was most fascinating about this place is the fact that what I was looking for really had a huge impact on my experience. Um, You see, I have a great grandfather who was, I was 11 when he passed away. And I was close to him and I knew him very well. I heard stories of him all the time. My mom was very, very close to her grandfather. And so we always grew up knowing our grandpa young very well. Um, and he had had two experiences where he had gone into a coma and had an afterlife experience. And because I had grown up hearing these stories, as soon as I realized where I was and what was happening to me, I panicked. I wanted to be with my children. And I knew he knew how to get back. And to me, that's what seemed the most logical is he knew how to get back. So I searched everywhere for him. So everywhere I went felt familiar to where he would have been. It felt familiar to what he might have experienced while he was there and to the, to the stories. And it's not that I created the same experience because my experience was marginally different. And I can actually see the difference between his and mine based on the time period that we're in now because of how much the other dimensions and the other the afterlife affects the way that the world is here. I could just see why he had the experience that he had. And it made sense to me considering the experience I was having now. Seeing how much the world has changed, understanding how much the afterlife might have changed as well was something that was very fascinating to me while I was there. Another fascinating thing was that you communicate by thought on the other side. It's telepathic communication. You don't verbalize your words. It's you allow an entire concept to be transferred to the other person and they allow an entire concept to be transferred to you and you allow yourself to receive it and they allow themselves to receive it. And most of this communication is task oriented. It's getting you to understand where you are and what's happening and, and what's going on. It's, it's creating things to inspire the people here on earth. It's busy work. There's a lot to be done on the in-between. Um, so it's not a whole lot of interpersonal communication, which is why everything feels so temporary. But if you've listened to my other episodes, um, I've talked a little bit more about this experience in the past where I finally did find my grandfather. And he basically sent me to hell. And I talked about that experience um, in another episode. And you can go back and listen to that if you want. Um, and then I talked about when I actually finally got out, climbing out of that canyon and fighting off my own insecurities in the form of the demons that they were, these creatures that were vile and awful. And it turns out they were just me. They were parts of me. It was my own insecurities that were holding me down and pulling me back and taking away from, from the glory of what I could possibly be. And it wasn't until I learned to get rid of those that I was able to finally get out and ascend to the top of this freaking canyon and actually see it for what it was. I was able to be weightless again. It was in this dimension that I found true freedom, freedom of my insecurities, freedom of the lies that I tell myself to make myself feel better about the things that I think are flaws and the things that I think make me less. It was freedom from oppressive systems that were designed to keep some people in power and most people enslaved. It was a freedom that came with the idea of a clean slate, that this time you get to relearn everything through the eyes of intuition, that you get to learn everything through the eyes of 
asking yourself how you honestly feel about it. Not finding out how your mom and dad feel about it. Not asking yourself how your friends think about it or how your pastor or your bishop or what the local politician feels about it. It's what do you feel about this situation? There is a freedom in giving yourself that power. We're all hiding behind a mask of the society and the culture we grew up in. We're all hiding behind this image of what we think we're supposed to be. And until you've taken a step back from other people's expectations and your own ego, how can you know that you're really being honest with yourself? On the other side, it's easy to tell because when you're not being honest with yourself, you can't communicate the same way. Your abilities are affected. And when I say abilities, I mean like superhuman abilities. Telepathy and levitation are only the beginning of what you can accomplish on the other side. But again, it takes complete integrity of self to be able to get to that point. And if there's any lesson I can share from the other side, it's that we do have the power to avoid hell in the next life. We do have the, the power to avoid that kind of torture and know it's not through coming to Jesus and you know, claiming whatever, like them saying Jeffrey Dahmer is in heaven now, whatever, because he's, you know, he saw God and he's friends with Jesus now. That's not how it works. I guarantee you that guy is in hell. Um, But it's through the process of looking in the mirror and taking time to examine who you really are. Unlearning everything that you've learned and relearning them again through the eyes of intuition taking the time to filter them through, how does this make me feel above all else? Do you feel right or wrong about it? The integrity of our words and the integrity of our actions is the one thing in this life that can actually save you from a life of hell on the other side. And by a life, I mean lifetimes. And the way that time works over there is a really long time. There's a reason why they said an eternity of fire or brimstone, because it does kind of start to feel like that after a while. Just time really can drag on over there. But you can avoid it. And you can use the time here to make something better of yourself. When you higher your vibration, when you raise yourself from the darkness, and when you learn to really get to know yourself and make sure that every step that you're taking is a step forward with integrity. It's a step forward knowing that you are making the choice that is good for you. You are making a choice that you can feel proud of, that every step you take, every choice you make in in your day-to-day life is a choice that you're not going to have to regret. That's what a life of freedom is. That's something that you can actually put your hat on. That's freedom. That's happiness. That's joy. No, you won't be able to control the outcome of every situation. And no, you won't be able to control the things that happen to you. But when you're in control of yourself, you're in control of your reaction to a situation. And that gives you the most control possible. The only way to actually have that kind of control in your life is through the integrity in the way that you speak to yourself. Learning who you are, getting to know yourself and speaking to yourself with kindness and empathy and treating yourself the way that you deserve to be treated so that nobody else can ever treat you another way. Because you already know how you deserve to be treated because you're treating yourself that way first taking time to recognize where your boundaries need to be set because you're being honest with yourself about what feels good. 
The only way to truly heal is true honesty of self. It's unlearning everything we thought we knew about the world around us and deciding that now's the time to heal and move forward and get to know who I am so that I can do something that I give a fuck about. Sorry, Dad. It's important for us to learn to get in touch with who we are, to learn what our body is telling us when we're feeling anxious and when we're feeling angry, when we're feeling sad, when we're feeling happy. What is our body constantly telling us? If you're honest with yourself, you'll figure it out a hell of a lot faster.